Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. And welcome indeed. I have a ton of stories to get through this evening, so I'm going to keep this intro brief. Keep in mind that I will be part of a panel at AlienCon here in Los Angeles on June 21st. Now, our panel, which includes folks from Blurry Photos Podcast, Hysteria 51, Our Strange Skies, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, The Mad Scientist Podcast, and, of course, me. Now, that panel begins at 10.20 a.m. on Friday. Now, the fun does not stop there. That evening, we're actually going to do a mega podcast meetup. I don't even know how many podcasts are going to be part of this. There's at least 10 or 15, and I'll try to get a list together in the coming weeks. But uh, this event's going to be held at Scum and Villainy Cantina on Hollywood Boulevard, Friday, June 21st, 7 p.m. As of now, that's all the details I have, but as they come in, I will forward them on to you. Now, in addition to that appearance, it was officially announced today that I will be hosting the town hall meeting at this year's CryptidCon in Kentucky. Now that event is coming up in September, so clear your schedules for that as well. So with all of that out of the way, let's move on to the main course. Our first story of the evening comes to us from parts unknown. Literally. The following is Billy's story. Hi Derek, this is Billy calling from Parts Unknown. I'd like to say that I'm probably going to be a repeat offender. Today's going to be short and sweet, though. I have a little story. I'm, I'm going to call it a movie theater entity. I don't know if it was a ghost. This incident took place in a place called Batesville, Arkansas. And it's a very, very, very small town. And there's a uh, local movie theater and it's a simple square box with one hallway down the middle uh, three theaters on the right side two theaters on the left with a restroom at the very beginning on the left hand side I there was a it was 2006 I was in my senior year in high school general the general manager of the said movie theater was a, a friend of mine and um, so Every night I would go and hang out with him and uh, he would let me see premieres to movies and tell people um, how they were so they would bring in more people watching more movies and I kind of got to see a movie for free so I wasn't going to not 
you know, watch the movie. It was about, I'm going to say, 1 o'clock in the morning, and uh, he had let all of his staff go, which was just another two teenagers from our local town, and he was closing up the shop, and um, he was like, man, I want to, I really want to thank you for, you know, hanging out with me and everything, and I was like, you know, I'm watching free movies, uh, of course I'm going to stay and hang out with you, and he was like, no, it's more than that, I'm always afraid to shut down at night because it's really creepy here, really, really spooky, and I was like, well, I could understand because of, you know, the, you know, it, it gets real dark at night, and especially in the theaters that's designed to be dark. So um, he always had this routine where he would check the bathroom to make sure there was no one in there. And then he'd have to walk the movie theaters quickly to see if there was anybody there. And I would just wait for him out in the front of the, the parking lot, at the out the front door. This night I was staying inside the lobby for the first time. And um, he said he was just going to go lock the back door for the fire exit and he would be right back. He started, he walked away into the darkness. And uh, I've seen him start checking the um, the movie theaters, left to right, left to right. And then um, I heard the back door. Uh, being he was checking the back door. And then I heard the back door close. And then I'd never seen him start coming back, but I heard him, uh, the movie theater at the far, very back of the um, building next to the fire exit, um, that movie theater open. And then I saw him go across back over to the right-hand side and check the right movie theater. And then he came out and he ran across over into the the next closest movie theater on the left-hand side. And I thought that was really odd that he would just run across like that. Like he he kind of booked it. And I still couldn't really see him at this point. And I was thinking he was playing a joke on me. But then he put his hand on my on my shoulder and said, hey, are you ready to go? And I turned around and I was like, what, what, what are you doing here? And he said that he had exited the theater at the back to lock the door and that he always goes out the back and walks around to the front of the building. And I just never really paid attention to it. And I just told him that I've seen somebody running from movie theater to movie theater. And that's when he was telling me that, that you know, he finds it creepy too. So he never likes to walk through the dark so we just booked it out of there. And um, I only saw this happen once. I've only seen it once. And I really didn't care to stay late with him ever again, though I should have because, you know, he probably was scared out of his wits too. So thank you for your time. Thank you for letting us share. And I'm um, loving the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. I don't know what it is about theaters, but they seem to harbor a good deal of paranormal activity. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show, but the college I went to had, I believe, two separate haunted theaters on campus, which which is pretty incredible considering it only had two theaters on campus. So that kind of gives you the indication that these places tend to hold on to something, whatever that something might be. Thank you again, Billy, for sharing that story. I look forward to your other submissions. Now for our next call, we're going to have to get our feet wet. The following story was submitted anonymously, but takes place in Scotland. 
So I have a rather long story. In the early 2000s, my wife, my small son, and I moved to Scotland. I worked in oil and landed a good job at Aberdeen on the northeast coast. Coming from Houston, it was a big move for us, but it felt like a real adventure and a fresh start for us in an exciting country. Anyway, Aberdeen, though a fun city, was just far too expensive for us, so we chose to live relatively close by in the small town of Elgin, deep in Scotch whiskey country. We fell in love with Elgin real quickly. It's old, I mean like really old. The weather is temperate, and the pace of life was slow and steady. There's a ruined medieval cathedral, a couple of impressive castles nearby, and so many grand old buildings on the main street. Like I say, it wasn't a big place, probably less than 30,000 people, but we loved it. Anyway, one of the things we loved most was that we were only ever a 15-minute drive from the beach and 30 minutes to the mountains. Because of this, my wife and I used to spend a lot of our time hiking or going on long walks. As our son got older, he started to come with us, but we scaled back some of our walks so he could enjoy them rather than being carried. Around the time my son was three, he and I went for a woodland walk a short drive east of town. Uh, it was a mild autumn day with good sunlight, and we trudged slowly through the woods as he picked up sticks and rocks. The usual kid stuff. As we moved on, my son started to talk about a lady following us. Truthfully, I didn't really listen, just assuming it was another walker. The further we got in, the more agitated my son became, though now he kept talking about a bad lady following us. My son was an imaginative little guy, and clearly this was part of some game. So on we went. Eventually we came to a small clearing with a big, long, flat rock sat in among the moss. By now my son was starting to cry and was pointing behind him, saying the same thing over and over. She's here. The bad woman is here. Now, seeing how agitated he was, I scooped him up and ran back to the car. He was really freaked. Driving home, he seemed to calm, and though disturbed, he didn't mention it the whole drive back nor again since. A week or so after this, I went to the local bar to meet one of the friends I'd made. I mentioned the location and incident. He had zero recollection of any local legends and with no greater description than bad lady. We didn't have a lot to go on. That, I thought, was that putting it to the back of my mind. I have since moved home to the U.S. My boy is a lot older. My wife and I are no longer together. But my ties to Scotland and that sleepy, wild place remains. So I took the trip back a few months ago, meeting friends, grabbing beers, and seeing how the old towns have changed. Or rather, not aged a day. On meeting that same friend from all those years ago, he said, Hey, do you remember that weird day your kid thought he was being chased by a lady? Yeah, I said, I remember. Well, I remembered it a few years ago, and I don't know why, but I asked around and did a little digging. Turns out, the woods had been a hiding place for a tragic local woman called Jean Carr, who had lost her child and subsequently her mind. Leaving civilization behind, she took to begging and used to sleep on a big stone in the woods. Things got worse for her as she was caught kidnapping children in the area, replacements for the ones she had lost. Legend has it, they did not meet pleasant ends. She was eventually found dead close to the stone, old, starved, and alone. I've never spoken about this, and my son will have no recollection, and doubtless it will make little sense to him today. But I am now sure something very wrong was in those woods, and I think he saw it. it gives me the shivers thinking about it. Thank you.
Thank you, caller. There's something about the placement of this story, the old country. It's just something that kind of adds to the creepiness of it all. And it's also interesting to know that he managed to find a living person to tie this legend to. It's very reminiscent of uh, Bunny Man or Goat Man stories, where you can sort of trace it back to a particular person, although that particular person's a bit ambiguous. Thank you again for sharing that tale. I really need to make it over that way someday. Ghosts and hauntings are cool and all, but let's find ourselves some sort of creature. And do I have the perfect call for this occasion? The following is Josh's submission from the state of Virginia. Uh, yes, my name is Josh from Virginia, Southwest Virginia, to be exact, around the uh, Big Stone Gap area. This day that, that my encounter occurred, it was roughly uh, March the 13th, March the 14th, around 1 p.m. Uh, the sun was shining, a very clear day, uh, no wind, no breeze. I'm going to start with what I think caused this whole encounter. Uh, I'm, a mus- I'm actually a FedEx driver by day and a musician by night. We were having a, uh, a lot of luck with our music and a lot of luck with our uh, uh, getting really good gigs and getting paid a lot of money. And I just kept seeing guys on TV, you know, make it and uh, uh, make it far and be successful. And, and one day without thinking, I'm sitting in my living room uh, at home and I just say, man, I would sell my soul to Satan himself if he would let me be successful in music. Well, fast forward back to the day that it occurred. I'm in my FedEx truck um, down a gravel road, very rural area, back in the woods. I pull into my next stop, get out of my truck. Takes me a couple minutes to find my to find my package that uh, belongs to these customers. Uh, there's no one home, no one home at the time, no cars around. I can't hear anybody, see anybody, don't hear anything. I get out of my truck, walk the package up to, up up about five or six steps, lay the package on the front porch. I turn back around, still quiet, don't, still don't hear anybody, see anybody. I turn back around to walk off of the porch. I get down as soon as my left foot touches the bottom step, and I take three steps from the, from the porch. I can hear what sounds like growling and, like, I guess, claw marks, claws hitting, claws hitting, the, hitting the pavement, you know, at a fast rate. I turn around. And there is a, it's one of the biggest German Shepherd dogs I've ever seen in my life. It gets about five foot from me and it stops. I'm scared to death. And one thing I noticed about this dog was this the pure evil. I could feel pure evil radiating off this dog. And the dog's eyes were like a shark's eyes. They were black pits. Normally any other, I've seen I've seen hundreds of dogs' eyes. You can always see the iris, whether it's light brown, dark brown, blue. There was no iris. It was pure black, pure evil. And I'm ready to turn and run, but in my mind, I'm like, no. If I turn and run, this thing's going to chase me down. It's going to grab me, and it's going to be... I, I thought my life was about to end. I was praying to God. I was saying goodbye to my wife. I was saying goodbye in my head to my kids. Uh, I was crying. And for a second split moment, the fear went away and it turned into pure just, it's like the flight or fight. It went from flight mode 
to fight mode. I was I was ready to fight this dog. I was ready to, if that's what it was. I think it was I think this was some sort of demon in the form of a dog. This dog it like I said, it gave off pure evil coming from this. And right when I'm about to just say, Screw it. If this is how I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do as much damage to this thing as humanly possible. Well, in a split second, I'm hearing this dog barking. It's the loudest barking I've ever heard. And all of a sudden, my hearing goes away. My hearing is gone. And it, like, everything's muted. Like, I can hear ringing in my ear. And this voice comes in my, like, it's like, it's like a voice in your head. And the voice says, run now. And when that voice said now, I turned and I ran as fast as I have ever ran in my life. I dove in my FedEx door, slammed the door shut, and when I when I when I dove in my truck and I looked back, it's like it looked like something was holding this this animal, this dog, whatever this thing was, back. And as soon as I shut my truck door, the dog took a dead sprint toward my FedEx truck. And right as I was I, mean, I threw that thing down in drive and I floored it floored it you could see gravel and dust flying behind me and as I was pulling out right before I pulled out as this thing was coming toward me right as I pulled out uh in my FedEx truck I could hear the teeth of this animal this 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 whatever this was this creature I could hear its teeth clinging clanging against the truck door trying to get in you could just hear it bam bam this thing's teeth and I pulled out and I got going down the road and a different voice, a different voice, I could hear a, this time, it, the first time it was a female's voice, a very calm, soothing female's voice. This time it was a male's voice, a very, a very deep, guttural male's voice. And as I'm driving down the road and I'm, I'm getting closer to, to exiting off the gravel road and getting back on the main road, the main highway, back toward home, uh, it's a male's voice. And about four different times on the way home, and they weren't together. It was just just random times. Like I, I I would drive, I would be driving, and I would hear that male voice say, "It was hungry." And two or three minutes later, I would hear hear another male's voice say, the same male voice say, "It was hungry." And I heard that three or four times, uh, almost till I got home. And uh, yeah, that's that's my story. I, what I think, I think that, I think I caused, I think I caused it. I think that. I think this thing was a demon, or maybe it was a hellhound, and I think that 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 voice, I think that voice that I heard, uh, I think that voice saved my life that day. I think that voice uh, was with me. I couldn't see it, but I think that entity was there with me. And it, I don't know, I don't know if it was a guardian angel, just an angel. Uh, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. But this, like I said, that that dog or whatever that was pure evil radiating from it scared the hell out of me and just the black just dark black pits for eyes there's just no irises no just nothing in this thing it's just scariest moment moment of my life i i thought i was gonna die i thought I was, you know i was never gonna see my family again but uh hellhound demon call it what you want but that's my story uh thanks for what you do um love you man keep it up
Thanks, Josh. This story reminds me of the Charlie Daniels song, Devil Went Down to Georgia, where Johnny made a deal with the devil to become a famous musician. Luckily, Johnny was a better fiddle player than the devil. Out of curiosity, I did a bit of digging on the German Shepherd eye situation, and every photo I could find depicts a German Shepherd, a full-blooded German Shepherd, with brown eyes. The pupil is black, the iris is brown. It honestly looks a lot like my eye. Now, of course, I suppose it could be a bit different if the dog was somehow a mixed breed. Perhaps it had a bit of black lab in it or something like that. It still allowed it to look, for the most part, like a German Shepherd, but it would change subtle nuances such as eye color or something along those lines. Of course, that is a moot point when you start talking about the voices that Josh encountered. I'm very reluctant to share this bit of information with you guys because it may admit uh, that I'm losing my mind, but as I was building the new studio space early this year, I was spending an enormous amount of time by myself. I would come down to the workspace at probably 7 a.m. and work until probably 8 or 9 at night, especially during the two-and-a-half-week stint while Sarah was out of town. And during that stint, I began to hear voices myself. They would come in in quick bursts and say things like, "Uh, Turn that board around, it won't fit. Or, don't cut that. And usually they'd be right. Now, they weren't audible, they were in my head. And I, I, I analyzed it as far as I could, and I came to the conclusion that it's probably my subconscious that realizes the, the mistake is about to be made and says, oh, hey, idiot, you got to do this. And of course, that's not the fun version of that story, but it certainly makes a lot more sense than some disembodied voice that was trapped in my head giving me construction tips. Now, I'm not sure if that information or even that story correlates with what happened to Josh, but it certainly helps put things in perspective. Thank you again, Josh, for taking the time to share that story. I grew up with a healthy fear of larger dogs, and and this story definitely tugs at that childhood fear. And for our next call, we head to the Southwest. The following story comes to us from yet another repeat offender. The following is Annie's story in the state of Arizona. Hi, Derek. This is Annie from Arizona. Um, I had left you a written um, story about my encounter, I think. It was an encounter with Bigfoot, although there was no visual. And I wanted to leave another story for you about when, um, this was about eight years ago, and I was currently married at the time, and I moved in with my husband and his four children. He was someone who at times would have played on and off with a Ouija board. Um, That had not occurred for several years prior to my moving in. However, the whole family, his little family there, was certain that they were being watched over um, by a Native American entity uh, known as White Feather. Um, apparently, this was information that was gleaned during his one of his many Ouija board sessions. 
So there were a couple of times when I was in the house by myself. It was a big two-story, one of those big cookie-cutter ugly monstrosities that they have in, down in Phoenix that are just not, you know, they have no personality. Um, but it was a big two-story one. And um, the bathroom that was in the master was mirrored. The, the, they had the big mirror on the wall, and then it had two giant mirrors for doors for the closet. There are many times in that room that I felt incredibly uncomfortable. And at one point, he did share with me a story about a parent entity interaction he had had um, with something he had contacted on the Ouija board that had literally picked him up and threw him across the room into the shower, um, at which point he began vomiting, um, became very nauseous, and apparently that was the last time that he ended up using the Ouija board. So I was always a little bit on alert when I was home alone, although I wasn't afraid, nor was I uncomfortable enough to be home by myself. Well, one morning uh, we woke up. Well, I should say I woke up. Um, we had a massive sleepover, and all the kids were zonked out on the floor downstairs. Uh, and I thought I'd go down. It was pretty early and check on them and maybe start breakfast if somebody was awake. So I headed down the stairs, and as we got to the as I got to the bottom of the stairs, there was a computer in the right-hand corner of the room. This was back when computers were big, the monitors were big box screens, you know, big ones. Um, and as I looked, I could see a reflection in the kitchen because from where the computer sat, I could see into the kitchen if I looked in the monitor, if it was shut off. In the monitor, in the screen, I could see a reflection of someone walking in the kitchen. So I figured, okay, somebody's up, I can probably start breakfast. Well, as I finished my journey down the stairs, I did a head count of all the kiddos that were asleep on the floor, and it occurred to me that none of them were awake yet. And so I did a quick check in my brain of whether or not my husband had been awake. No, he was still asleep, I'm sure, in the bed beside me when I woke up this morning. Um, so I made a quick exit in, or a quick entry into the kitchen, and there was nobody there. And that kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. I could clearly see what appeared to be a male human, an individual, walking in the kitchen, um, going from the right side of the kitchen or what would be the west side to the east side. Um, I just kind of filed it away in my head, like, okay, maybe there's a, maybe there is, um, you know, a positive spirit in this house, and it does tend to watch after the children. So several weeks later, um, my husband and I were getting ready for bed. Uh, it was pretty late at night. I can't remember what we had been doing, but it was summer. And I remember it was summer because I always kept my big box fan on. I don't care how cold the air conditioner was. I always liked to sleep with a fan. And I was the last one to get into bed. And the box fan was on the other side of the room toward the foot of our bed. So it was on the wall that the foot of our bed was closest to. And I turned on my fan toward as I went to get to bed, I hit the light switch with my hand and shut it off. The room went black, like it should, climbed into bed, got kind of comfortable, and all of a sudden heard this huge crash, bang, crash, and the fan was quiet. Although it was dark, we couldn't hear, 
anything else. Um, the fan that usually roars in the corner, um, big box fan, I couldn't hear anymore. So my husband climbed out of bed, um, walked quickly over to where the light switch was, hit it on the wall, and our box fan had rolled. And the I was curious is the the, the blades inside the fan were still moving. It, it was just recent. I mean, it was within seconds. Um, it had rolled from the left side of the room on its edge. It hadn't fallen down face first. You know how fans tend to do face first or, or on their back. It had rolled from one side to the other, like a square rolling down a hill, all the way across the room with such force that it unplugged itself from the wall. Now, this box fan sat on the floor. It wasn't up on anything. Um, it wasn't precariously perched on top of something else. It was sat steady with its little plastic legs, still intact. It was a relatively new fan at the time. Um, so it was fine. We had used it night after night since spring had come, and nothing had happened to it. So it wasn't really too long after that um, that we left that house. Um, that just was not a welcoming feeling or, to, as far as I was concerned, a welcoming sign at all. Um, and my husband walked around the room. There wasn't anything that it could possibly have been, and we really were left with no answers. So we did plug the fan back in. Nothing else occurred from that point forward um, to the point of our moving out date. So that's just an interesting story. I'm not sure. You know, we had some pre-adolescent or pre-teenage um, kids um, coming into, you know, kind of their puberty time when they're grown, boys especially, when they're growing up, um, kind of tapping on adulthood's door. And we did have a lot of pretty rogue energy in our home, um, especially there a couple, I can recall a couple weeks that were pretty tough well with that many kids in the house you know you have that kind of issue but I'm wondering if that maybe had a hand in some poltergeist activity I don't know but it was incredibly weird incredibly scary um but kind of cool in a way because it it validated the fact that um there is something going on out there that we clearly can't see and then we don't understand. Um, so since then, I have made room in my life for those kind of things, for those odd moments that tend to occur. Um, and I don't have to have an answer for them. So anyway, thank you so much for your podcast. I listen to it every day in my shop and I absolutely love it. So have a good one. Bye. Thank you, Annie. With all the strange activity that I've been experiencing as of late, I couldn't imagine it escalating to the point where I was pushed or a large box fan was ripped from its seat. Some experiences seem to be subtle, with very little substance. Strange knocking sounds or maybe one or two objects that have come up missing. But these escalated cases, cases like Annie's, I don't want to say they're much more interesting, but they're definitely frightening and more gripping, if you will. Now, Annie made mention that some adolescents in her home may be affecting the energy levels. Now, what she's referring to here is a theory, and I believe it's an older theory that's been around for quite a while, that teenagers going through puberty, especially, I think it's young women, seem to have some sort of influence on poltergeist-like activity. 
Now it's yet to be determined if they are actually causing the entity, if they're attracting the entity, if they're causing the activity. It's really a lot of speculation and trial and error, and thus far nothing has been definitively proven. This is certainly an interesting case, and I feel bad for you and your family, Annie, for having to put up with it. But, at the very least, it makes for a great tale. And thank you again for taking the time to share it. Alright guys, i got a couple calls left to share with you, but before we do that, let me get through some of this information real quick. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you guys to give me five stars and a couple nice words about why you like the show. And let me tell you, you guys did not disappoint. There was a huge influx of reviews that took place over the last two weeks, and I could not be more thankful for that. So thank you all so much for taking the time to do so. Don't forget, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by A, purchasing a t-shirt, sticker, hat, or miscellaneous item from the shop. Just visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the shop tab. Another thing you can do is donate to the show. At the same website, you'll find a button named Donate. Any amount goes a long way to keep the lights on here at Monsters Among Us. And there's a third and much more fun way to support the show. You can contribute to the Patreon fund, and in return receive two bonus episodes per month. A Paranormal News of the Month, and a Deep Dive on a Past Episode. And it's getting to be about time for the second Deep Dive. And I'm pleased and excited to announce that this month's deep dive will be will be Mickey's Sasquatch encounter that took place in her big rig in the wilds of Montana. Her and I are going back and forth on time, so we'll get this scheduled out and released by the end of the month. So if this is something that interests you, head on over to patreon.com and just search for Monsters Among Us podcast. Join the $4 level and access to all this content and past content is all yours. And lastly, if listening to me is not enough, you gotta lay eyes on this ugly mug. You can catch me on the Travel Channel at 9 and 10 p.m. every Wednesday night on In Search of Monsters and Paranormal Caught on Camera. Paranormal Caught on Camera is a clip show where we discuss different uh, paranormal-themed videos caught at home. And In Search of Monsters is a deeper dive on individual creatures. Although I wasn't in yesterday's episode, it was a deep dive on the Mothman, and it was quite interesting. So be sure to check those out next Wednesday, Travel Channel, 9 and 10 p.m. East Coast time. Check local listings for your time. And enough of all that, let's dig into these final calls. Our next submission of the evening involves a subject that I thought we would never receive a call on. At least, I think that's the case. The following is Eric's submission from the state of New Hampshire. Hi, this is Eric from New Hampshire. Um, I have a weird story going back to 2000. Um, We were having a fire up on my uncle's house on Church Street in Kingston, New Hampshire, and um, it was a clear night, and we were all just sitting out back uh, drinking beer, and um, we saw a car pull up in front of the house. So we came around the side of the house. It was me and two other friends, and um, it must have been 2.30 in the morning, 
and uh, we walked up to the car, and the car didn't look like any make or model on Earth. It was a really strange thing. Um, and the guy who was driving it had gotten out and was looking at a, uh, an aquarium base that my, my uncle had thrown out earlier that day. <clears throat> and uh, he was asking us, um, you know, is this free? Um, stuff like that. Just a bunch of really weird questions. And after the fact, none of us can recall what the guy looked like. Um, his his car didn't make any noise. Um, the guy, it, he was a complete enigma. And uh, it, it, I don't remember seeing any license plates on this car. Uh, it was just really strange. But I've had a lot of strange experiences in this area uh, within 20 miles of, of Kingston, New Hampshire. Uh, I've had multiple uh, strange things happen. I'll, uh, I'll give a call back and and uh, let you know about the other ones. But uh, just the fact that we didn't we didn't the guy was completely weird, and uh, the fact that nobody could recall what he looked like after he left uh, was just odd. And my friend, uh, he actually looked at me after the guy drove off and said, "Dude, we just had a conversation with an alien. Um, it was just." a really strange event. Right, but... Thank you, Eric. Now, this sounds to me like a men in black experience. Now, a lot of the telltale signs are here. Let's start with the vehicle. Now, Eric described it as being the make and model of something he did not recognize. That's often a report of the infamous men in black. In addition, he described how strange the man appeared. Yet another telltale sign of the men in black. And finally, the strange behavior, the strange way of talking, the odd way that the man seemed to inspect everyday normal objects. Also extremely strange. Now, I really wanted to find some media that I could sum up the entire men in black experience with. But truth be told... The reports are too out there to rope into one short segment. So instead what I thought I would do is read a little bit about a strange men in black experience that happened in Point Pleasant, West Virginia in 1967. Now this was several months after the beginning of the Mothman Flap in 1966 and strange men began showing up around the town. These strange men began asking questions to certain individuals, Mothman witnesses, John Keel, the investigator himself, as well as his friend and fellow investigator, Mary Heyer. Now, there was one particular story that I remember about Mary. She was sitting alone in her office. That's when a strange-looking individual walked into her office and asked her a bunch of questions about UFO activity that's been taking place in the area, despite the fact that one of the biggest tragedies that area has ever seen had just taken place. Now, the reporter acted strange, and when Mary questioned where he was from, he simply said, Cambridge, Ohio. Which, coincidentally, is also where I am from. So Mary 
suspecting that what the man was telling her was false, asked him to describe where the area was in correlation to Columbus. Perhaps to no one's surprise, he'd never heard of it. The strange man went on to inspect a pen, a ballpoint Bic pen that was sitting on Mary's desk. He stared at it like he had no idea what it was, how it worked, and he began hysterically laughing and ran from the office. Now, of course, I'm not saying that what Eric saw was definitively a man in black. After all, there's no proof that the men in black exist at all. But as I said, the facts all seem to align, and I'm eager enough to call this one a man in black experience. So thank you, Eric, for taking the time to share it. And if anyone else out there has experienced anything similar, hit up the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can email me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com or click on the Report Your Sightings tab on the website. Thank you again, Eric, for taking the time to share that one. If men in black and UFOs are your thing, consider checking out the podcast Extraterrestrial. The existence of extraterrestrial life has captured our collective imagination for generations. Those who claim to have had encounters believe what they saw. But what does the evidence show? Every week, the Parcast Network's podcast Extraterrestrial examines these stories with a critical eye, analyzing possible scientific explanations in determining what really may have happened. Extraterrestrial takes a deep dive into both close encounters and potential government cover-ups, looking to answer whether or not we really are alone in the universe. Right now you can hear the story about the abduction of Barney and Betty Hill, or learn about rancher Mac Brazel who discovered the remains of an alien spaceship near Roswell, New Mexico. New episodes come out every Tuesday. So search and subscribe to Extraterrestrial wherever you find podcasts. Again, that's E-X-T-R-A-T-E-R-R-E-S-T-R-I-A-L. Or visit parcast.com slash extraterrestrial to start listening now. And let me tell you, it's incredibly difficult to say extraterrestrial several times in a row and not sound intoxicated. And that leaves us with our final call of the evening. The following was submitted with very little information, no name, and no definitive location. So all I can say is the following comes to us from an anonymous source in parts unknown. First of all, let me thank you for your show. I'm a pretty die-hard skeptic and appreciate the attempts to explain experiences that are related on your podcast. I've been listening for quite a while because despite my skepticism, I enjoy the storytelling and love to try to match up the stories to the bottomless font of folklore from around the world. Having said that, I have had some weird experiences in my life, all of which have been able to explain away fairly easily, except for one. This is an experience that I have never told anyone. I've been married over 20 years and have never even told my wife. So I've decided to toss it out there to see if anyone else has experienced something similar. Without further ado, here's my experience. 
Back in 2006, I had experienced a run of bad luck. I'd lost my job due to downsizing, and my wife and I were having some very serious problems in our marriage, which had brought about talk of a divorce. As the father of a young child, this was tearing me in two. To add icing to the crap cake, the transmission in my car failed spectacularly at a time when I didn't have the money to fix it. In order to clear my head, I decided that I needed to go off into the woods for a little while. When I was in my 20s, I had through-hiked the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine, and it had kindled a love of hiking in me that never went away. Of course, later, work and family obligations meant that I didn't get to spend as much time in the woods as I wanted, but now, with no job and a family on the outs, this was the perfect time for me to get away. I decided to take a couple of weeks and backpack southbound on the trail from Damascus, Virginia, and try to get as close as I can to Asheville, North Carolina. I called a friend who lived in the mountains to see if they wanted to go backpacking with me, and he agreed. So a couple of weeks later, we were at the trailhead in Damascus ready for our adventure. Our plan was to bypass the first shelter, as it was a fairly short distance from the trailhead, and spend the night at the next shelter, which was Iron Mountain Shelter. I quickly realized this was a bad idea. Years of a sedentary lifestyle and an office job had me hiking a lot harder, especially when carrying a 45-pound backpack. Our plans quickly changed to hiking as far as we could and then spending the night trailside if we didn't make it to the shelter. I told my friend, who was in much better shape and spent a lot of time on the trails, to hike ahead the next day and move at his own pace. I'd meet up with him at the shelter. He agreed and we put up our tents, ate some dinner, and went to sleep. Anyone who has ever been camping knows what camp sleep is. You go to sleep at sundown, then wake up about 1am and stay awake for an hour or so before going back to sleep until sunrise. I remembered the boredom from previous backpacking trips as well as the terror of hearing bears, numerous in the forests of western North Carolina, right outside my tent. Anticipating this, I took out my trail journal so I would be ready to do some writing when I woke up. Imagine my surprise when I woke up to broad daylight. I unzipped my tent and got up only to see that my friend had gotten up earlier than me and had already headed off to Iron Mountain. I figured I must have been more tired than I thought. I got my stuff together, ate some oatmeal, and headed off down the trail. As I walked, I felt strange. Almost like when you're hungover and your movements are lagging two beats behind, I also felt somewhat disoriented. The forest looked odd. The trees were enormous, bigger than I remembered, and the birds were almost deafening. The trail was like a green tunnel with less light than usual getting through the canopy. As I walked, everything felt very unfamiliar, and I was very surprised at the fact that I was not encountering any northbounders on the trail. At this time in the season, the bulk of the thru-hikers heading north from Springer Mountain, the beginning of the Appalachian Trail, should have been making their way through North Carolina and Tennessee. I didn't see another living soul. As I walked, I got the very distinct impression that I was on the wrong trail somehow, but there had been no other trails heading off the main trail, and I knew I was going in the right direction because I had not passed any landmarks from the previous day's hike. I had a handheld GPS with me into which I had entered the coordinates of the shelters on the trail so I could get an idea of the direction I was headed. I turned it on only to find that it wasn't working. I put in another set of batteries but it still would not work. I checked my phone, this was pre-smartphones, and it was not turning on either. 
Adding to my worries was the fact that the Appalachian Trail is marked by white blazes. For those who don't hike, a blaze is a square that is painted on trees at certain intervals to show that you are still on the trail. I hadn't seen a white blaze in at least an hour. Since electronics had failed me, it was time for a compass and map. I had a topographical trail map with me and I took it out and studied it for a good long time. As far as I could tell, I was on the right track and headed in the right direction, but I should have crossed a state highway a mile back. However, I hadn't. I came to the conclusion that if I was lost, I wasn't too lost, and I was heading in the right direction so if worse came to worst, I could get to a road and flag down a motorist. I had a tent, sleeping bag, and more dehydrated food than I should be carrying anyway. I picked up my stuff and started walking again. I came to a dirt road and noticed that it was fairly well used, though not really wide enough to accommodate cars or trucks. It was more like a very wide trail than an actual road. I considered following it, but I checked the map and it didn't show any roads in the area. I didn't want to go on a wild goose chase, so I decided to continue on the trail. I walked another hour or so and decided to rest and eat, so I took off my pack and took out my camp stove and started boiling some water. I leaned my back against my pack and I must have dozed off for a couple of minutes because when I looked again the water was boiling started making my dinner and realized that something felt out of place. It felt like the light had moved and gotten dimmer. I shrugged it off, ate, packed up my stove, and stood up when I heard someone call my name. I looked up and heard my name called again, like someone was looking for me. The callers came around a bend in the trail and I called to them. They told me that my friend had been looking for me because I was apparently missing. I told them I hadn't left the trail and had only been hiking a few hours, but they said I had been missing all night. All night? I had been hiking about six hours. Not knowing what was going on, I decided to just tell them I'd gotten lost until I could sort this out. I thanked them and headed to the shelter. When I got there, he was frantic and was getting ready to hike out and contact the police to organize a search party. According to him, he woke up and I was gone. He thought I had hiked ahead. When he got to the shelter, and I hadn't arrived yet, he started getting nervous. When it got dark, it was too late to hike out for help, so he would wait until morning. Until then, all he could do was tell northbound hikers to look for me. When I finally saw him, an entire day and night had passed. As I said, it felt like I had only been gone six or seven hours. He got to the next shelter ahead of me, and we never saw each other even though he should have walked past me. If the time that I hiked was correct, it should have been about 5 p.m., but it was actually around 8 a.m. the next day. In the end, I decided it was better to be thought of as careless instead of crazy, so I told him I had gone off trail to go to the bathroom and had apparently gotten turned around and wound up on the wrong trail and got lost. I had not come to terms with what had happened, and I still don't think I have. I don't know what happened to me. I'm inclined to think that I was somehow sleepwalking and actually woke up when the other hikers called my name. But how could I sleepwalk through packing up my tent, sleeping bag, etc., and walking through a full day and night? Maybe the stress that I'd been under caused some kind of disconnect in my brain, but still, I should have passed about 20 northbound backpackers on the trail, at least five of whom had been asked to keep an eye out for me. I should have been passed by my friend. I should have crossed a state highway, and none of these things happened to me. The last thing I can hold on to is that I fell asleep at trailside when I stopped to rest, 
and I slept all night, but that makes no sense because the flame in my camp stove was still burning and the water was boiling. If I slept that long, the stove would have run out of fuel and all the water would have boiled out. In addition, the woods looked different. They were not as dense and dark. It's like I was in a different forest altogether. In the end, we continued our hike uneventfully and I went home to fix the problems in my life. I have never told anyone else about what happened. Since this event makes me question my own sanity, I can't imagine what others would think. Thank you for the opportunity to get this off of my chest. I look forward to more episodes of your podcast. I hope that others out there have experienced something like this and can shed some light on my experience. Thank you, caller. This reminds me a lot of last week's call from Carla, who talked about her husband seeing two people that appeared to be out of place and out of time while hiking somewhere in the Carolinas. Is this a case of missing time? Or is this a case of perhaps alien abduction? There are several possibilities regarding what took place in this particular story. But unfortunately, without further details, I don't think any of us could figure them out. And as it turns out, we're out of time anyway. So thank you again, caller, for sharing that call. And thank you for tuning in to the show. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Pon Abbott, and Tony Bell. Music for this episode was provided by Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. assume everyone knows about the secret part of Monsters Among Us podcast. But if not, you just found it. Our final tale of the evening comes to us from the state of Montana. The following was submitted anonymously. Hi Derek. This happened when I was little. I can't recall how old I was, maybe 8 to 10. I lived in Helena, Montana in a little trailer park. While walking to the bus stop at the entrance of the court, I happened to look up and saw a spot in the sky where the stars were gone. It was winter and very early in the morning, so it was still pretty dark. I stopped in the middle of crossing the road and watched as the black spot moved closer to me. I couldn't see any details on the UFO, only that it was completely black and made of three rings of white circular lights. Being young, I didn't count the lights or try to estimate how big the craft was or how fast it was. All I know is that it was big and fast and moving toward me in the sky. 
Another kid in the neighborhood also walking to the bus stop came to stand beside me to watch the craft. However, it was only a few seconds before the UFO just went backwards and out of sight. It didn't turn, I don't think. It just went away without a noise. I asked the boy if he had seen that, and he confirmed that something had been there in the sky. Thanks for letting me share. Well, thank you for sharing. Now, I've heard this sort of report before, and typically it's in conjunction with the wedge-shaped triangles. Think the Southern Illinois lights, or the Phoenix lights, or the flap that took place in Belgium in the 90s. So essentially what we're looking at is some sort of black shape that blocks out the star's light. The only way you could see it is if you're actually looking for it. Whatever these are, they're certainly creepy and proving to be quite popular. I've had several submissions played on the show and several more lined up in coming months. So thank you again for sharing that call and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small. To be our special guest. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.